Good morning, Grace Chapel. I am Lori Taylor, and I am going to be reading Matthew 28:11 through 20. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Grace Chapel. Wow. It's a huge privilege uh, to bring this message to you this morning. And one of the qualities that I've just so appreciated about Grace Chapel has been the way that it observes the different times in the Christian calendar. I never had that growing up. And I uh, really have appreciated that aspect. But one of the questions asked Pastor Ben a while back was, well, what about the Great Commission? That seems to be the end of the story. We don't hear much about that. And he said, well, let's talk about that. So we did. (laughs) He said, then why don't you preach it? So I said, okay. (laughs) So that is why I'm here today. I want to prepare you because I am speaking to you about missions in a way that you may have never heard before. Um, It may challenge you, as Pastor Ben just said. So uh, as my kids say to me sometimes when I don't understand something, say, Dad, just stay in the car. So just stay in the car. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, just as you heard Lori read it. I'd like to read it now to you in a little different way, and that is because it's in the context of other verses of Scripture and the other Gospels right at the same time. And so kind of listen to me as I kind of piece these things together. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Then they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we can't be sure of the order in which all this comes about, you know, exactly what Jesus was saying in that very last encounter with his disciples. But I'm sure that Matthew's 28, verses 18 through 20, were probably part of the very last things he says. And it says that when he gives them, and when he does that, he gives some of the most powerful preamble to what he finally says, the Great Commission, in which he says, um, all authority is given to me. So he starts it with, all authority is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. 
And, you know, Luke then says that um, lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them, saying, and I'd like to think that those last words that he said were, and surely I'm with you always, <laughs> even to the end of the age. And then Luke goes on and says, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And then in Acts, we see, and the disciples worshipped him. And while he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, two men in white robes stood right beside them. And they asked, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up towards heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go. And so the disciples returned to Jerusalem and notice where? From where? The Mount of Olives with great joy. So let me set the stage. You see... The excitement had been building in the lives of the disciples. They had seen Jesus appear among them several times following his crucifixion and his resurrection. But it seems that they were somehow kind of brief encounters, except perhaps the longer one that we see in John where Jesus meets uh, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and he invites them for a meal at the bank and he reassures Peter that he hadn't written him off as a disciple for his Denial. And then, now 40 days after his, crucifix- his resurrection, they were going to meet him on a mountaintop. Where? The Mount of Olives. And as far as they were concerned, you see, the prophet Zechariah had written about this. You see, in the 14th chapter of Zechariah, he says in this majestic chapter that is talking about that final day when Jesus comes and he just rips everything apart and he establishes his kingdom. He says there that that it's in this great battle on the day of the Lord in which God finally destroys his enemies and raises Jerusalem to its place of prominence in the world. In verse 4 it says that on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and he will split it from east to west and living waters will flow from it to the sea. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And I think the disciples were kind of giddy with anticipation, thinking that finally Jesus was going to make his move. He had come in weakness, and now he had been raised in glory and in power. They were finally going to, they were going to see this thing actually happen. They've been waiting for They've been prodding him all along. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And so... That was the day they were waiting for, and, and they knew that they had been following this, this Messiah, and yet they didn't know just what was happening with this one. He was the root of Jesse, and he was of the kingly line of David, and, and, and that's why they said to him at this place, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom of, uh, to Israel? And, you know, I wonder if Jesus didn't chuckle with him, within himself and say, man, these dimwits, <laughs> you know, they still don't get it yet, you know? But Jesus always says things that they don't expect. Maybe he was thinking in his, his mind, hey guys, just stand in the, stay in the car, you know, like <laughs> that kind of a thing. Um, but no, he says to them, no, you've got no idea what's going to happen. You're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be now my witnesses, starting here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he gives them, his, uh, gives them their marching orders. So he gives them a command to go and make disciples of all nations, a task to baptize and teach them all that he'd commanded them to do. And the scope was to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth and until the end of the age. And he said, I'm going to be with you 
all the way to the end. Now, I want to paint you another picture. There's something about a person's last words that stand out to us. And some of us have had the privilege of being around someone right at the very end. And you're always wondering what's going to happen. What's, what, are they going to say something significant? Because a person's last words, we know, carry a lot of weight. They may have a special wish or a revelation or a blessing or, a, or something. And sometimes we'll ask, well, what was the last thing he said? In the movies, they sure do. Well, you know, just as he's dying, it's like, ah, uh, you know, he was the killer type of thing. But no. Anyway, um, that happened to me when my dad passed away. We were beside his bedside. My brother and my sisters were there. We were singing songs around his bedside. And just as he faded out and went into the arms of Jesus, he said, am I a soldier of the cross? That's from the words of a song by Isaac Watts that go like this. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by Thy word. That was the song on his lips as he passed into the arms of Jesus. I carried them on my heart because I too want to, like my dad, be a faithful soldier of the cross. Not like someone who bears arms or for a religious cause. There's too much of that that goes on that is horrible. That's not what we're talking here. We're talking about a soldier's submission to his Lord and his, his commanding officer. Walking in obedience to that command and to what his Lord says, what his commanding officer says. And so now let's go back to the Mount of Olives. What were Jesus' last words to those wide-eyed disciples who were blown away by his person? They had witnessed the glory of his resurrection, and now he was calling them to the special meeting on the Mount of Olives. Their mind goes back to Zechariah 14. And you can imagine their expectation and hopes for the full revelation of his glory and power. They're hanging on his every word. Now is the time, and instead he leaves them a task to do. So these were Jesus' last words in Testament. And again, what were they? Go and make Jesus' followers in all the ethnic group peoples of the world. How? Telling them that their sins can finally be forgiven through faith in his shed blood and of his resurrection. This is the essence of the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. And Jesus said, I'm with you always, all the way to the very end of the age. Now then, I need to jump back to a previous scene because earlier I, earlier I had introduced you to my dad. Let me give you some more context. My parents were missionaries with a mission agency called New Tribes Mission, which had uh, got its start in around 1942. Its name spelled out their vision because their objective was to reach the very last tribal group, ethnic group of the world with the gospel before the coming of Christ again. And the thing is that these groups were no longer, were no uh, closer to hearing the gospel than they had been for hundreds of years. And that's because Most of them are inaccessible. There are huge linguistic and cultural barriers that need to be crossed. Um, 
and just a tremendous amount of struggle that's inherent with reaching them. And nor would they ever hear unless someone went to them and took the time to learn their language and culture and with it earn the right to speak to them about the gospel and how they could be restored to their creator God through faith in his son. Now the apostle Paul talks about these people in Romans 10, 14 through 15. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not heard, have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a herald or a teacher or someone who will proclaim it to them? And how are they to preach? How is that going to happen unless they are sent? So this little band of young idealistic men and women dedicated to Jesus realized that they would have to use a different strategy to get that job done that hadn't been done for 1900 years. They realized that they needed to get specialized training, a different set of tools, to learn basic linguistic theory, language learning techniques, jungle medicine, church planning strategy in a very primitive context. They would have to learn how to be self-sufficient, learn how to cut hair, dress a chicken, build simple housing, make a mud oven perhaps, learn basic Uh, medicine, suturing wounds, how to help in the birthing process, give injections, and guess what, folks? Most of everything there we did in Mexico, working with the Tarumara people. But above all, they knew they had to develop a real pioneer spirit that looked at God's call to missions, not as just a two-year or five-year commitment, but as a lifetime commitment because... In order to take a culture, a people group, out of isolation and learn to love them, to heal them, to educate them, to give them an alphabet. My wife was working on the alphabet of the Tarumara language when we got there. In order to take them from, in essence, a place of very much a backwards site type of society to a place where they have a functioning church reading their own language and have a New Testament or the scriptures translated. It takes a long time. It takes a life's commitment. You don't get that done right away. And so they developed as a mission what they called a training program called the boot camp. Now this was way back in World War II days. It was preparing them to go out and do some pretty tough stuff. My dad joined in 1947, my mom in 49, and as single missionaries, they went down to Brazil on the same airplane, met on the airplane, married two years later in this little jungle town of Guajaramirim on the very border of Brazil and Bolivia. I was born in 1957. They, um, they went to work with a group of Indians called the Pacas Novos. These indigenous people were being killed off by the guns of the Brazilian rubber workers who were invading their lands looking for the white gold of the jungle. This is the latex sap that was gathered from rubber trees, much like maple syrup. And that was used, um, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a very valuable commodity. And the Brazilians were going out into the jungles and they were killing the indigenous people that were in their way of getting to these rubber trees. <clears throat> and so the... The, the, the Indians, the, the Pacazonas Indians, would then, in return, retaliate and kill the Brazilians and eat them. Yeah, they were cannibals. 
in every sense of the word. And these early missionaries would go into the jungles and set out gift racks to attract the indigenous men out of the jungles into a clearing where they could eventually make a friendly face-to-face contact. The goal was to avoid their arrows and somehow broker peace, which they did in 1956. There's a lot of story that I don't have time to go into here. But how do you even begin to preach the gospel to a people who speak a language that sounds like gibberish? How do you take the incoherent sounds of a language and create an alphabet and reduce those sounds to a written language? And then from there, how do you guide a primitive culture to the point where they can read and write and eventually plant a church among them and translate the scriptures and leave them a church community, self-sustaining, self-propagating? That's the task. In some cases, at the end of the world, and at the, all the way to the end of the age, because there's still a lot to be done in that way, folks. We may be tempted to think that the whole idea of missions or of taking God's message to other nations and peoples is maybe a relatively new development in the plan of God even. But let me give you some more perspective on that area. After all, until Jesus came, there was no Savior and no resurrection to preach about. There was no real understanding of a redemptive theme back then. But we see actually through the pages of Scripture that God did and was working a global redemptive theme, overarching from the very point of man's rebellion against God. God has been the initiator, constantly offering a way out of the mess that we have created because of our sin. In Genesis 12, we see God separate a family out from all the other families of the earth. That family is Abraham. And to Abraham and his sons, he gives them a blessing and tells them that their nation is going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The nation of Israel came to understand that these promises of God um, encompassed a world history, a world encompassing plan of God to bless all the families of the earth through a Savior that would one day be born within their nation from the tribe of Judah in the family of David, at a place called Bethlehem. Micah had written about the very place where the Messiah, Savior, would be born 700 years before it ever happened. David gives testimony to the fact that God had a worldwide purpose in his plan. In Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven, he says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. The Hebrew word kindreds there refers to clans and families, tribes, all speaking the same language. Nations relates to a broader geographical grouping of these types of people, often who have no knowledge of the Creator God. There are a lot of other examples in the Scriptures that show that God not only was was extending compassion to the people of Israel, but also to other nations around them, as in the case of Jonah. He cared about those nations outside of Israel. And then in Jesus' life and ministry, we have him reach out to the outcast and to the foreigner and to the woman of Samaria and the Syrophoenician woman. And then his commission says, go to the ends of the earth, to the ethnos of the world. And it relates to people and groups and languages. And so I think when God, when Jesus was speaking about the great, giving the great commission, he wasn't thinking even about a border or just the other end of the world like the United States or, or South America. He was talking about an ethno-linguistic breakdown, the ends of the world where all the nations and people and tribes are worshiping and know of the, the, of the gospel of, of, of Jesus. You see, that's the picture that we get in Revelations 5, 9. 
where it says there that they sang a new song, where he says, Worthy you are to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, uh, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So one of the most compelling passages of Scripture that was always on my dad's heart and that stuck to, with me all these years has been Isaiah 53. 11 and 12, where it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see the, his offspring. And out of the anguish of, of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, because my righteous servant will make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. I think that's what will satisfy the heart of God, is the, a representation of all tribes and tongues and languages and people and nations there worshiping around his throne. What a beautiful picture. This cacophony of voices from every language group in the world all praising the Lamb of God who was slain from before the foundations of the world for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the scene that John sees at the very end of Revelations. And folks, that's the urgency of the gospel because you see... Peter, even in his, in his defense before the elders of his people, when he stood before them and, they were, and he, was, he was talking to them about the person of Jesus, he says to them, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the must of the gospel. That gospel must be carried to all the language and people groups of the world. And I realize that in church history, there is something that, there is that underbelly of church history that relates to where the gospel has come in and created tremendous upheaval in nations and cultures. <clears throat> and those, and they have brought in um, issues and, and uh, troubles and even cultural extermination. And our tolerant and inclusive society says, what right do we have to change the religious beliefs of others? We don't have the right to do that. We never see God forcing His will on anybody. At any time, Jesus never forced His way in any way. And yet we do have that responsibility. We do have the the joy and the privilege of partnering with Him and making sure that all peoples and nations and, 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 and tribal groups have the ability to place their faith in the Savior who died for them. And Jesus has been bringing out people from among his people and calling them out to be emissaries, to be ambassadors into all these places of the world. And he may be calling you. And if he is, there's a special equipping that you need as well to do that. But there is still a tremendous need that has to be met yet around the world. According to SIL, Wycliffe Bible translators who have a database in languages, the Bible is only available in 704 of the 7,111 languages of the world. If you do a simple Google search of how many Bible translations there are, we've got 450 translations of the English Bible. And yet I'm working right now on the very first translation for the Tatamata people, they can really understand and read. That's my task right now. I wonder sometimes if the church has looked at the Great Commission as more of a suggestion, the Great Suggestion. 
No, it, this is our commission, folks, as a church. We've got to reach the last people group with the gospel. They're waiting. They're waiting. A friend of mine who, was, who went to the mission field the same time we did, he went to Papua New Guinea. The mission headquarter in, in PNG in Papua New Guinea would receive uh, letters almost every month from a different tribal group saying, when are we going to get a missionary? When are you going to send someone to us? Because they saw the light in the eyes of those that had missionaries. They saw the changes of their people, those people groups. And they said, we want that. That's still happening, folks, today. And so what do we need to do, folks? From here, where do we go? As a church. If you want to talk to me a little more about this, I'd love to talk to you about that. My heart's there. But if you want to know more, just get on the, uh, the Grace Chapel website. And under the About tab, there's a Mission Subgroup tab. <laughs> and there you'll see pictures of people like Jason and Mandy Schaefer, who are serving right now in Tokyo, where there's only 0.2% who profess faith in Christ. Pray for them and give towards their mission. Lori and I are carrying out Scripture translation for the Tharamata people, we still need monthly supporters who will allow me to actually go full-time and be able to do that and get that done. I understand the missions team is looking for people to help them out. These are all ways that we can get involved. And then also, folks, there are people, there are agencies that are known to be, able to be reaching these, what they call UPGs, unreached people groups. Look for them, ethnos360.org, mtw.org, joshuaproject.net, Pioneers. These are, are sites that you can get on and inform yourself with regards to um, more of what, the, what is needed to reach these last unreached people groups with the gospel. And so with that, folks, I, I commend you for just all you do. And... Uh, Look forward to continuing to partner with you in finishing the job that God has commanded us to do. Amen. Dale, pray for us. Lord, we are grateful for the fact that we can partner with your Holy Spirit in really doing what is on your heart, which really is the culmination of all your work, was that you would be able to be presented as the Savior of all mankind, that all people from, from every tribe and tongue and nation would be able to understand the sacrifice that you went through to redeem their souls from death and hell. Thank you, Father, for the incredible task and the fact that you are with us until the end of the age. Allow us, Lord, to go with, with joy and confidence and allow us, Lord, and I pray that you would call from among this church, Lord, more who would go into these harvest fields that you, Lord Jesus, said even way back then that are white unto harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless us.